Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thank you so much for gathering again here this morning. Again, thanks for bringing the church uh, into this, this space. Um, really grateful to be able to open up God's word with you all this morning. Last week, we began a brand new series on the parables of Jesus. Particularly, we're going to be looking at eight parables in the gospel of Luke. And last week was on the parables of the, the soils, really. It's called the parable of the sower, but it's really a focus on the soils with this question, like, do you and I have ears to hear? And the honest answer is, unless the Lord comes and tills the soil and cultivates and does that, the reality is, no, we, we actually don't. And so to help us and just, to, again, to invite this spirit to be present, I want to invite you to, to pray this short prayer that you see on the screen aloud with me. So we want to ask the Lord to open up our ears so that we can hear from him this morning. And so there's this prayer for illumination. So pray this aloud with me now. Calm us now, O Lord into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. So that is our prayer. We want to have this calm that comes, not through just techniques or anything, but rather just like through a peace that we experience in the presence of the Lord. Like we get to experience his presence together this morning. We get to open up his word, allow it to speak to us, to bring transformation. And this morning, we're going to look at a particular question that Jesus poses to his disciples. And then in his kindness, all right, and this is amazing. We're so thankful for this. He doesn't just pose the question and say, hey, uh, get back to me um, and I'll, I'll check in later and see if you've passed the test. But rather, he answers the question for them, not just the disciples some 2,000 years ago, but he's answering it for us right here, right now. And he's gonna illuminate our minds and our hearts through the power of the Spirit so that we might come to a deeper understanding together around this question that Jesus poses. What is the kingdom of God like? And part of his answer, as we're going to see, is he's going to give two short parables uh, th this morning, all right? Uh, we're going to look at the parable here of the mustard seed and the leaven. And these are Jesus's response. He poses this question, and he says, well, let me tell you about the mustard seed, and then let me tell you about the leaven. And so we want to press into this and see, okay, how do these images, these short stories, these, these parables, how do they actually inform the answer to this question, like, what is the kingdom of God like? And then, what does that look like collectively for us and also individually for us? And so the parable of the mustard seed and leaven, this is found in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. I invite you to have God's word open before you, so that way you can study it, you can see it in context. So there are Bibles in the pews. You can also scan the QR code that's in the pews, uh, which will bring you to thisiscp.church, and you can click that little next steps icon uh, and turn to the sermon notes. Anything that's up on the screen this morning will be listed there. But I want to go ahead and read this, really, what are these two parables? And we're going to see this morning these pictures that the Lord gives us, all right? So the mustard seed and the leaven. And we're going to look at these patterns of the kingdom. Like these things reveal certain patterns and they're all fueled by this upside down power. And so first, the pictures that we see, let me go ahead and read Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. Remembering this is God's very word to us. He has given it as this just amazing gift. And so hear these words, beginning verse 18. He said, therefore, 
What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so as we look at these particular verses, relatively short, we've got four verses here, all right? Um, you've got these two images, like what are they meant to communicate? And part of what we need to understand is how Jesus begins this. Did you notice he said, therefore? So before he gives this, he says, therefore, which all of us remember from our days of grammar, right? With our English teachers, what is the therefore, therefore? And so we need to ask that, all right? And that is a helpful thing to remember. And we would look back and we would read the account, if we were to take the time to do this, about a woman who was, had, like literally was overcome, was bound by the power of Satan, had this disabling spirit, and Jesus freed her. In verse 17, I'll just read this one verse. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame because there was a group of people that are like, hey, if you're going to heal somebody, don't be doing it on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, are you really? Are, are you serious right now? All right. And so he puts them to shame. He heals this woman. And then it tells us the response of many in the crowd. All the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And so there's this moment here where he's just done yet another miracle. This is why the crowds are gathering. This is why people can't get enough of Jesus. And it's in light of this miracle that he says, therefore. And so what he's doing here is he's trying to counter a bit of what the people, I think, would have expected. Because if I had just done that, and then I want to tell you about the kingdom, I would have, you know, I would have come up with some, it's like an army that invades and overthrows Rome, right? Or it's like fireworks in the sky, or it's like a rocket going into space. I mean, like all the, these things, right? Like we would think of grand and glorious and just things of like great power and might. And Jesus says, hey, lest you think that the kingdom of God works in ways that always look like instantaneous miracles happening, let me give you these images to tell you a bit of what it also looks like. Not that it doesn't include the instantaneous and the miraculous, and we would pray for that, and God's power is still at work to do those sorts of things. But Jesus, knowing the crowd, knowing the fickleness of their heart, knowing that people are just out to see the next kind of show, like what's the next episode, right, of like what Jesus is going to do, he's like, let me tell you about the kingdom. And so he starts out and says, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So he just, for one, he says, let me talk to you about a seed. I mean, literally, it's this sort of image. I mean, it's this tiny, seemingly insignificant thing, a tiny little mustard seed. And he's like, if you understand the mustard seed, you're beginning to understand what it means to live in my kingdom, to participate in my kingdom, to understand what the kingdom of God is actually like. And so that's our first image. That's the first picture. And then as well, he says, it's also, when he, as he compares it in verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, or think like what is, it's like yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. It's like this yeast, this leaven that gets put into the dough until it was all leavened. And so he gives this other image. So somewhere in these very everyday, ordinary images, 
of a tiny little mustard seed, of leaven or yeast, he's communicating something that he desperately wants us as his followers to know, hey, if we're gonna participate in the kingdom, if we're gonna understand the kingdom, it is crucial that we understand how the kingdom operates. And so with these two images, what I wanna do is ask this question, like, yeah, what are we to learn from these images? And so what begins to emerge, I think, as we look at this and we examine, there's likely more patterns and things, but there are four things that stand out to me that I'd put before you are patterns of the kingdom that we see exhibited and illustrated through the mustard seed and the leaven. And Jesus is inviting us to understand this because, friends, we've got to remember, we looked at this a bit last week, when Jesus comes on the scene, all right, Jesus did not show up and say, repent and pray the sinner's prayer and invite me into your heart. That is not what Jesus uttered as he went around the, the, the countryside and the crowds gathered to him. Now, listen, we are called to repent. We are called to believe and trust in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with praying the sinner's prayer. Like I, I pray that that has been part of your story, that you've trusted in the finished work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. But Jesus came announcing something of which all of those things fit under this larger umbrella, and that is the kingdom of God. It's not this isolated individual thing, as important as that is. Jesus comes proclaiming, there's a rule and there's a reign of God. And you can either live under the rule of self, which will lead you down the pathway to hell, to death, devastation, all of that, or you can gladly surrender to the rule and reign of a gracious king. And this kingdom is taking over. This kingdom is here. This kingdom is advancing. This is the kingdom where you will find flourishing and life and wholeness. Will you be part of that? And Jesus then, with these images, I believe, is laying out for us. What are the, what are the patterns of the kingdom? Like, how are we to understand it? And so the four I want to look at here that we see in Luke 13, 18 to, to 21, I would say this. I think there is a pattern of expansion. There's a pattern of inclusion. There's a pattern of transformation. And then there's a pattern of gratification. So not alliteration, but some shuns. All right, so here we go. All right, so expansion, inclusion, transformation, gratification. So as we look at this, we'll deal particularly with the mustard seed initially. There's an expansion pattern. There's a movement that's taking place here from something small something seemingly insignificant, something easy to overlook. I mean, like if there was a, a mustard seed just up here on, on the stage, like chances are none of us would actually be able to see it. But there's this movement from the small to the great, that this is how God operates. We love the grandiose. We love the big. We love the loud. Like that tends to be the things that we are drawn to. It's what gathers a crowd but Jesus keeps pointing out, friends, I am doing a work, and it's this expansive work, but it's going to start small. It's going to feel like it doesn't have a shot. I mean, putting a tiny little mustard seed into the ground, digging the hole, putting it in, covering it, hoping that the right amount of rain comes. I mean, like all the variables, and yet at some point, Life begins to burst forth out of the soil. And this thing that was this tiny little mustard seed begins to grow into one of the, the largest like bushes or trees in that area. And it begins to spread out. It literally gets as wide as it does high. And it's just this gigantic leafy thing. 
And Jesus is saying, oh, if you understand that movement from the small to the great, you're beginning to understand how my kingdom works. And so we think about that even as individuals. Like, do you feel overwhelmed thinking about God has called me to live in this time, to be a disciple of his in this time and place and to be about making other disciples? I mean, it can feel overwhelming. Like, there is a culture, it feels like, very much against the work of the kingdom. But God always loves to surprise us. He works through the mustard seed. He works by taking broken fallen, rebellious, stupid people, right? That are like you and me. And just like, hey, I'll choose you. I'm gonna work through you. Now that's not a shot at your self-esteem, but really what Jesus is saying, like, I just, I wanna demonstrate my strength in your weakness. And the mustard seed feels particularly weak, particularly vulnerable. But God is on the movement. So remember that, that there's this movement from the small to the great. I was thinking this week, a story that came to mind, perhaps you're familiar with, is about the prophet Elijah, right? And Elijah is up against, there's even supposed to be a king in the land of Israel that should be calling the people to right worship, but he's not. He's engaged in Baal worship, and the king's name is Ahab, and he's wicked and terrible, and we don't have time to get into all of it. And there's this showdown that occurs, perhaps you remember this, where Elijah's like, okay, once and for all, let's prove who the living God is. And so prophets of Baal, there's 450 of you guys. All right, you build an, auth- an altar. You put you know, the animal on the altar. You cry out to your God, and we'll see if fire can be called down. And if you can do that, then your God clearly is God. But if it can't, and I call down fire, my God answers my prayer, then the God of Israel is the true and living God. And so do you remember how this goes, right? So the 450 prophets of Baal, it looks large and impressive, Right? They are crying. They are screaming. They literally get to a point, they begin to cut themselves thinking that if they just shed some blood, maybe that it would honor the gods, right? And that Baal might respond. And then because Elijah, I just love the humor of the Bible, all right? If you're like, is it biblical to talk trash? Maybe because of Elijah, all right? He begins to taunt them, all right? And says things literally like, it says very polite Bible language. Maybe your God is indisposed. Maybe your God is in the bathroom right now. Maybe he's having a little bit of trouble, right? Maybe his stomach is upset. He begins to taunt them. But then what happens? Nothing for the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah's like, okay. And in the middle of drought, significant famine, it hasn't rained in years, right? Like he's like, hey, douse the altar, all right, with water, just gallon upon gallons of water. Now, listen, I'm no Boy Scout, but I don't think that's how you start a fire, right? All right, get the water. Here we go. Like, that's not what you do to start. And then he calls out to his God, and fire comes down from heaven, all right? Consumes everything on the altar, like laps up all of the the water, right? Prophets of Baal end up being killed, and it's like, whoa, the small, the insignificant. And then, right after that, in the land where it hasn't rained in forever, Elijah is told, all right, the Lord is going to send rain. And look at how it's described in 1 Kings chapter 18. Be reminded, this is how our God moves and works. Elijah said to Ahab, go, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And what's going to tell us in a moment is like, there's not even a cloud in the sky. What do you mean the sound of the rushing of rain? But he's got ears to hear how the kingdom works how God is operating. He says, there's the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the town of Mount Carmel. 
And look at this posture here. He bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. That's a surrender to the kingdom. That is like, Lord, I need you to work. And he said this, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So the servant did. He went up and he looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. I think this servant for a moment, right? There's nothing. Clear blue skies, just like the day before, just like the day before that, like the week before that, like the month before that, like the year before that. Like there's nothing. Looked at the weather app on my phone. It says it's clear skies, like Elijah, like what's going on? He's like, go do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Like seven times. And then we get this word. At the seventh time, he said, behold, huh, I see a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. So off in the distance, no larger, like this tiny little puff of a cloud, the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down, lest the rain stop you. Like it's about to unleash. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Like, that's some fast running. That dude's on a horse and chariot, right? And he just outruns him. The storm, the heavens unleashing, it started small, and it moved to something great. I am a sucker for... uh, I'm a sucker for all pranks and then people that film pranks, all right? And so there's a series, I feel like people keep doing these where uh, a famous athlete or celebrity or somebody like gets dressed up kind of undercover and then they're sent into a situation. And so I don't know if you guys have seen this one, uh, but uh, the former quarterback, star quarterback who played for the New York Giants, Eli Manning, all right, Super Bowl winning, defeater of Tom Brady, like that guy, right? Um, And so Eli Manning goes to a uh, a walk-on tryout. Every year, Penn State University has walk-on tryouts, all right? And so he is in, like, he's cooperating with the head coach as a prank on the guys that are there, and even the other coaches, all right? And so he goes in, they put, they get the long hair, they do a bunch of stuff to his face, all right? And he's, he's told that he's got a little bit of eligibility left. So he's trying to look like, hey, the dude in his 30s is showing up now to try out against, like, these 18 and 19-year-olds, right? And so it reminds us like things aren't always what they appear. I mean, this is how the kingdom of God is, right? It appears weak and small, right? It looks like, hey, that time has passed. Like, nope, you know what? The kingdom of God, like that was appropriate at some point in the past. That's antiquated. That's old. That's old fashioned, right? Uh-huh, that's cute. But like, no, no, there's something new. Like, why would you buy into that? I mean, it's sort of that, that picture. I mean, this guy's showing up and everybody's kind of scoffing at him, right? Like, who is this guy? Like, dude, like, retire already. Like, come on. Like, the, the, you know, the game has passed you by. And then he gets out there, and he just starts dominating, right? And he's throwing passes that nobody else can throw. And the, one of the assistant coaches, like, yeah, goes up to the head coach. You know, uh, th- this guy, Chad Powers, like, I think I see something in him. I might want to take him, right? Um, which is just hilarious. And yet it's this, this picture of, like, oh, yeah, things are not always what they seem. The kingdom of God. It's expansive power. It starts small, but it moves to something great. And we may not always see it in our lifetime, but friends, we're part of a story of the restoration and renewal of everything. And not only is it a story of expansion, it's a story of inclusion as well from this movement from the few to the many. So the way of God 
is for him to create a people for himself. We studied this last year. We studied the life of Abraham. Do you remember? God doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna make a people that are as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore and that he just like dropped human beings like to just populate the earth, right? They didn't just fall out of the sky. What does he do? He goes to one guy who's a worshiper of the moon God, all right, and says, hey, you, you with your wife that's advanced in age, she's barren, you've got no kids, I'm gonna make you into not only a family, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Like that's how our God works. So there's this expansion from the small to the great. And then there's this inclusion. And the parable of the mustard seed is exhibiting that, that it starts with a few. It starts with God's people. But it's always meant to be a blessing to everyone. This is how our God works. And so when we read a detail like, oh, now the tree is full grown and the birds have showed up. And they're beginning to make their homes, their nest in the cover of the leaves and the branches and the shade that it provides. That's not just an arbitrary detail. Like throughout the scriptures, the Gentile peoples are often spoken of in various points throughout the storyline of the Bible as the birds being welcomed in. Like look at Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23. It says this, On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce a fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. Friends, it's just this reminder again and again, the expansion of God's kingdom, the movement from the small to the great. And then what starts with a few, there's this message here. The imagery of the birds is this way of saying, Anybody can get in on this. Like God's kingdom is open to all. It doesn't matter the sin of your past. It doesn't matter the brokenness that you've experienced. It doesn't matter the ways that you've sinned and been sinned against. God is saying, hey, I want to love you. I want to care for you. Come be part of my kingdom renewal restoration movement. So there's this message of inclusion there. He's like, Anyone can get in on this. And as it continues then, there's, as we look more specifically at the parable of the leaven, there's a pattern of the kingdom, there's this transformation pattern. Now, I do not know a lot about baking and cooking and all, all of, of those things, but what, what I think is helpful to, to see in here, right, is that there's what is happening with the leaven that's put, this little bit of yeast that's put into the dough, all right, it is something that, again, It's overlooked. It's this movement from the unseen to the seen. But if you don't have that yeast, if you don't have that leaven, you end up with unleavened bread, right? Like you end up with, like it never rises. And so what God is communicating through this particular image is this, that we, if we're going to experience growth, it moves from the inside out. But the dough at at no, in no way can make itself rise. Like something has to be put into it. And the thing for us, friends, is we're thinking about how the kingdom, the patterns of the kingdom, a transformative work is we need God himself to take up residence in us. And this is why Jesus said, it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come dwell in you, to minister to you, to transform your heart so you and I would have the transforming grace of God. This thing that we can't really see, but it's there, and then it gets inside of us. Like, we don't make this happen. The dough never says to itself, rise, right? It can't do it unless there's this active 
agent that is put inside of it. And friends, for us and for God's kingdom, it is the grace and the mercy of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what is central to everything. And then that begins to do this work. And it's often, though, like unseen. Like I get where we look at life and we're like, is God at work? Like some years ago, I imagine your, your families have this similar uh, tradition of it's Christmas Eve and for Christmas morning as part of like a Christmas morning breakfast, uh, perhaps you've been part of a, a family where like these sort of like roll, like cinnamon roll, like sticky bun type things are made. Right? I don't know what you call them. Um, I'm guessing some of you do something similar. And that is a regular thing in our life. If you were here this morning, you're like, I thought we were the only ones that did that. Sorry to burst your bubble, right? But there's lots of us that do those things. And by us, I mean, my wife does those things because I wouldn't know what to do. But there was one year in particular where the kids woke up, all right, and we're all excited. We're getting the, the, the food ready, and we went to go. And my wife had gotten up earlier to, to make sure that what had happened, the rolls were left out overnight so that they would rise. And something apparently went wrong, and they were just flat. It's like, wow, these cracker cinnamon rolls are amazing. And so literally from that point forward, like every Christmas Eve, all right, as she sets those, I think they just sit in the oven with it and, and like are supposed to, to rise overnight. There is a little bit of this like, I don't know, is it going to work? Is it crackers this year again? Like, what is it going to be? And then you go out in the morning and see, oh, it's done its work that they've begun to rise. And now all the goodness, like all the things can be added to it and can be put in the oven. Like, that sort of picture where we wonder, though, like, is it going to happen? Like, that's normal. Because there's stuff that's unseen. We don't always have eyes to see how the kingdom of God is operating. There are things happening in your life right now that we need to be reminded of. It's part of why we need community to remind us of, like, hey, God has got this, and he's doing something, but we may not have eyes to see it. I was revisiting a, a book this week and prepping for the sermon that I'd read, I don't know, sometime in the last couple of years called Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland Jr. Look at these words that he says in regards to what we oftentimes don't see. He says, what we don't realize is that often a period of apparent spiritual stagnation a time in which we don't feel as if we're going anywhere, a phase of life in which our relationship with God seems weak or non-existent, the time of dryness, of darkness, what the mothers and fathers of the church speak of as the desert experience is filled with nurturing down below the surface that we never see. Do we believe that? That is what is happening the leaven is communicating that to us. He continues, the great Scottish Christian novelist George MacDonald put it this way, to give us the spiritual gift we desire, God may have to begin far back in our spirit in regions unknown to us and do much work that we can be aware of only in the results, only like only looking back on it. In the gulf of our unknown being, God works behind our consciousness with his holy influence, with his own presence, he may be approaching our consciousness from behind, coming forward through regions of our darkness into our light long before we begin to be aware that he is answering our request, has answered it, and is visiting his child. The parable of the leaven. The pattern is that there's a transformation pattern that takes place, but it's often 
in ways that we can't see at the moment. But it is at work. And lastly, there's a pattern of the kingdom, a gratification pattern. What I mean by this is there's this maybe movement that we see from the instant to the delayed, right? Now, I don't know about you, but like my guess is, I think I do know about you, that you're like me and that like we want instant, right? That's the type of gratification and deep satisfaction. Like we want it here right now, right? So we are the, the nation of like the, you know, all the, the things like the takeout food, let's eat it in our car. Like we just, we're busy, we're on the go or we'll microwave something. Like that's just kind of how we operate. Like legit, I was really disappointed the, the other night because I missed the Amazon window that would deliver between like 5 and 10 p.m. I'm like, I got to wait till the morning? Are you kidding me? Like, woe is me. I mean, just like that sort of thing. Like we want it instant. We don't want to wait for anything. And yet, the way the kingdom, and I think all of these, the seed gets put into the ground and it grows up to be this spectacular tree. It's a blessing, right? But it doesn't happen overnight, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that like, you know, keeping to my January goals, I worked out one time in the month of January, right? Um, So I tried to do better this week. I worked out three times. And after the third time, I went and stepped on the scale expecting something to be different. Like, I want that instant result, right? Hey, I put in a couple hours this week. Like, what gives, right? Like, but that's not how it works. There's this slow, gradual process. So it's delayed, but friends, know this, it is coming. It absolutely is coming. This deep satisfaction, the renewal of all things. That's what these are also communicating. How many of you are familiar, would know where this scene comes from? I'm guessing a few of you might. If you don't recall, it is a scene near the end of the great film, Shawshank Redemption. So if you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption, I recommend it highly. Um, If you're like, oh, it's toward the end, are you going to spoil it? It's been out for 29 years. You've had time, okay? 1994, the year I graduated high school. Feeling old, okay. But um, in this particular uh, story and in this particular scene, what you're seeing there to recall, or in case you haven't seen it, there is a man by the name of Andy, and Andy is falsely accused of a of a violent crime, and Andy is sent to prison for the rest of his life. He he is tried, he is convicted, but he is 100% innocent. Like, there's no doubt about it. And then he has to, to live out his days in this prison underneath this evil warden that's running the, the whole place. But this scene, friends, is the day of his escape. And what ends up transpiring just before this is the guards come to open up, you know, the, the prison cells. They're, they're taking the, the, the call for that day to lead everybody to breakfast. And they realize Andy is nowhere to be found. And the warden is just ticked off. What do you mean nowhere to be found? You just vanish out of thin air? Like, that can't happen, right? And he gets so furious at one point that he takes some object. I'm not recalling what it is at the, the time. And he throws it up against the wall where there's this poster that Andy had put up and expecting it to hit the wall and ricochet back, it does not do that, but instead it just goes through the poster, and then you hear it like going on down, and he's like, what in the world is happening? And so in a fit of rage, he pulls the poster off of the wall, and here he is staring into this escape tunnel. But it's an escape tunnel, friends, that led to freedom. But if you know the story, right, he couldn't 
chisel that away each night when the lights went out and you know, have this giant pile of, of rock and of dirt and of concrete there in the cell and the guards come by and be like, oh, I don't know where that came from, right? How was he gonna deal with all the pieces that he chipped away? Well, for the better part of two decades, he would chisel away bit by bit every night, just enough to fill his pockets. And when they were let out into the yard that particular day where the ground looked like rocks and rubble and dirt and sand, he would empty out his pockets when no one was looking. And so just a handful, day after day, or night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, until finally there was this way to freedom. Now that begins to get at what is happening here this delay, this gratification, it is coming. But friends, the way of the kingdom, it is not this instantaneous thing. There are things that the Lord is doing in your life and in my life because he cares about you, that he's molding you, that he's shaping you. He's doing a work. And I know we wish we could like hyper, like fast forward that, all right, like quickly make this thing happen. But the Lord is like, no, I'm doing a work. Will you trust me? And the liberation, the gratification that one day we will ultimately experience. I mean, it's right here and right now, but it will be fully realized when Jesus splits the sky and he comes back and he sets everything right. The kingdom advances, oftentimes in ways unseen, oftentimes in ways, listen, God can snap his fingers and do something. Like he healed that woman earlier on in Luke 13. But oftentimes he's inviting us to patience and to trust him and bit by bit. I have to imagine for Andy in that cell, it just looked like I'm not making any progress. Like I'm never gonna make it through. Freedom is never gonna come. But the Lord in his kind, he is working. So this is why the prophet Isaiah would say things like in Isaiah 55, as this certainty For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you, friends, this is the promise, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees the field. Look at that image. The trees of the field will clap their hands. I don't know what that's going to be like, but the trees, I mean, like they're just rejoicing, right? Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's the story you're part of. And we wish it could just Get here more quickly, but the Lord is saying, will you trust me? Because the way this kingdom works is through a power, we'll close with this, that is completely upside down. I mean, think about it, right? The symbol of the kingdom of God advancing. I mean, it's it's on the wall behind me, right? It's the cross. Like, we have a Roman execution device as our symbol, what in the world? It's, it doesn't make any That was a symbol of the might and the power and the brutality of Rome. You try and rise up against the Caesar, they will put you on a cross. 
They will strip you naked. Everyone will mock you. They will spit on you. They will pass you by. They will deride you. They will do all of those things and you will die in agony, the most shameful death possible. And that's what they did to our Lord. And yet that thing, we'll read this passage here in a moment out of 1 Corinthians chapter one, speaks of the upside down power of our God. That in his divine providence, the way he writes stories is not the might and the power. It's through the unexpected. It's through the small. It's through a device of death that no one ever escaped from, that he would usher in our salvation, that Jesus would empty himself, that he would be put on that cross and beyond the physical pain would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, think about the power there, right? There were those that mocked him and were like, you saved others, save yourself. The power that it took for him to not come down. I mean, he literally could have called legions of angels. He could have wiped everybody out, right? He could have put Pilate, Herod, and the Caesar up on the three crosses and said, how you like that? Like, that's what he could have done, but he didn't. The absolute power that he had was demonstrated because he stayed. And in him staying, he demonstrated the love that he had for you and for me so that we could be part of his kingdom. It's completely upside down. This is why Paul would write to a church in Corinth, a church that's beautiful and broken and struggling and all these things. He says, for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but here's what we preach. Here's our message. Here's the, here's the image of the kingdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What's the kingdom like? It's like apparent weakness demonstrating the power of God. It looks small, it looks insignificant, like a seed going into the ground or a bit of yeast or leaven, but it brings transformation. God's kingdom is moving. Will you and I submit to it, yield to it, join in, leverage everything we have for it? Because that's the place where joy is found. That's why Jesus would say in John 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, here's the image again, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The way the kingdom of God advances, what the kingdom of God is like, is a willingness to die, a willingness to die to self and then to have new life spring forth and divide, invite other people into this cruciform, this way of the cross life that is actually where true life is found, true flourishing is found in that. And it takes a humility. It takes an honesty, as Charles Spurgeon said, your extremity is God's opportunity. The difficulty all along has been to get to the end of you for when a man gets to the end of himself, he has reached the beginning of God's working. I want to pray for us that we would come to the end of ourselves, that we wouldn't abide how the kingdoms of the world operate, but we would be part of God's way of weakness and apparent defeat, knowing that, oh, no, we are part of this movement of God that unseen at times will be made completely visible. That's what we get to be. Part of us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for your mercy and your kindness, your grace toward us. Thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom work. Would you continue to teach us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what this kingdom is like. May we be glad and joyful citizens participating in your kingdom work and advancement. Remind us of the patterns of the kingdom. We tend to be drawn to the patterns of this world. Holy Spirit, lead us now in just repenting of the ways we've bought into the the patterns and the practices of the world, of the culture. Lead us in in kindness to repentance. And may we cling to the the promises, the upside-down power that's available to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would advance your kingdom for your glory, for the good of our neighbor, and for our just deep joy and gladness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.